I love assigned seats. I really, I really get, you know, I, I get excited when I get to go to a wedding and they have an assigned seat. And it's like, that's where you have to sit. Awesome, no decision to make. I get overwhelmed by the choices of sitting. And I usually like to either be the first one to sit down or the last person. Um, anytime in between, it's like, oh no, I like overthinking. But what if I sit here? But what if I sit here? But what's gonna happen if I sit here? And like, ah, I go crazy. Um, I also love assigned seats because uh, the night, uh, the dinner party where I was invited to, where there was only people, only people in a relationship except for one person, um, who was a teacher at Eastside Memorial High School, um, we were assigned seats next to each other. Um, and so that's my wife, Alina, so we're married. It worked out. It doesn't always work out. If you have two friends who you think would be great together, it doesn't always work out assigning them seats next to each other. Um, it worked out with us. I love, I like, I really appreciate that because I, sometimes navigating those social, social situations can be very overwhelming for me. Um, one time, sometimes, you know, I like to either be, again, like I said, either really early or a little too late. One time I was, I was late to a, a talk in, in Colorado, and this was one of my former teachers who was speaking. And so there was only one seat left, and there's all these seminarians <coughs> who were lined up along the back wall. And, um, and there was one seat left, and it was right next to the bishop of Denver. At <laughs> the very front. And so I just waltzed, waltzed right in and sat there. I was like, well, it's the only, it's the only seat there. And I was like, I guess I wasn't thinking about this passage um, when I turned loose. And the same thing happened to Alina this week. Um, she had a, a new faculty orientation thing, and the only seat left was the one right next to the dean of the College of Education. <laughs> so just, just right up there. Um, but Jesus has these interesting words about parties. Um, and Jesus, you know, one of the funny things about Jesus is he likes to party. There's a, um, a, a song I wrote for, for the chapel here. It's called Je Jesus Likes to Party. Um, he likes his friends to feeling hearty. When others say that they're not fine, he turns the water into wine. He does. Um, but he does, and people don't, are weird about this. They're like, Jesus, why are you partying so much? Um, that's the translation of, Jesus, why are your, your disciples not fasting all the time? Like, why are you throwing so many parties? Um, they don't, you're not supposed to be happy. Like, following God is about being dour and somber and sad all the time. And Jesus is like, no, that's not it. Life with God is like a wedding feast. That's, that's our goal. That's what we should, we should reach for. That's what eternity with God is going to be like. It's like the best party that never grows old, that you never, like that person who you want to avoid talking to isn't there, but they're changed and they're transformed. It's the best party. That is life with God. Okay, but Jesus takes a hard look at parties in this passage for today. Um, and usually, uh, you know, this is, you read the first part. And so you read that, yes, Jesus was giving a parable, and we have this verses 7 through 11. And this could be right outside of like a leadership book at an airport that all the people are reading on the plane or pretending to read. Um, it really is. It's like when you go to a place, don't assume you're the most important so then you can get raised up later. Like that's one of those, that's like an axiom. Like that's how you're going to succeed in business. That's what you'll do. Um, don't sit at the front seat and move up higher. So Jesus gives this, this advice. And then he, he really kind of turns the tables on all of it and all like parties in general with verse 12. And then he said... To the person who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. 
Like, what if we just stopped there? <laughs> okay, when you're giving a party, don't invite any friends. Well, um, okay, Jesus. Can I invite my brothers or sisters? No. <laughs> no, brothers or sisters. What about my parents? Not even your parents. What about my neighbor? No, not your neighbors. Okay. Um, this is a different... This is not a really... Like it, this one's a hard one to apply to our life. This is not one that kind of the tradi- Christian tradition of the last 2,000 years have really like wrapped their hands around and been like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to really go into, we're going to be the church of Luke 7:12. <laughs> That's who we are. You know, there's these, um, these churches that are called Acts 29 Network. And they're like, because there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And so like, we're the 29th after, chapter of Acts. That's who we are. Nobody's, we're the Luke 14, 12 church. We don't invite our friends to anything. <laughs> so so what are we, we going to do with this? Um, I think what's going on here is these two different ways of understanding humility. And humility is often kind of can be portrayed in, in, in classic tradition, in the classic virtues of Aristotle. Um, humility would have been something that you were used to get further ahead. Um, it's one of those things that oftentimes like rest is used in kind of some workplace environments that you need to take in a vacation so you can be more productive. Um, but that's not really a vacation. You know, like the productivity is not the goal of all human existence. Um, humility is not an avenue for further success in your life. But, and so Jesus challenges us in that. We get this, we get this, this stark contrast with humility and the way we would see humility. Because humility is not just about how we see ourselves. It is also about how we see others in relation to ourselves. You know, we don't live on an island. We're not isolated from other people. How do we see ourselves? And what is the point of being humble? Humility is not feeling sorry for yourself. That's as well sometimes often a confusion that, oh, you need to be humble, so you shouldn't be thinking you're good at anything. Like, the goal of humility is not to think you're bad at everything you do. Um, there's, there's a little twist on all of this. In, in Matthew 23, Jesus kind of uses a similar language as he does in Luke. And he says, all who lift themselves up will be brought low, but all who make themselves low will be lifted up. He gives another, this passage is also about another one of those confusing Jesus uh, teachings, where he says, don't call anybody your father, and don't call anybody your teacher. Okay? It's like, Jesus? Yeah, okay, I understand the point of that, but it's kind of, how do I distinguish my father from, from other people, or my teacher? I don't, I don't know if my teacher is going to like me bringing this Bible to class and being like, I can't call you teacher. You're, you are not my teacher. Jesus is my teacher. Here you go. And they'll make you write on the board if there were boards. Still today. But... <laughs> All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and all who make themselves low will be lifted up. As well, in in the book of James, Jesus talks about humility in a different way. Or James, the the Apostle James, but Jesus, through the Apostle James, talks about humility. Um, When he says, are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. I think that's, that's really, really powerful. Are you wise in understanding? Show it with a life that is humble. Are you wise 
Wisdom is not about flaunting it. It's about showing it through humility. There's, if you're ever at a creative writing class in your life, you were told, show, don't tell. <laughs> um, this way of writing that you don't want to tell if you're writing a short story or a poem or, or anything like that or like a, an, an article on something. You don't want to tell people exactly what it is because it doesn't work. It's really clunky writing. You want to describe and let them realize that for themselves. That's the same thing with humility. You can't go around and say, I'm a really humble person. Um, you know, it's like one of those things at a job interview. If someone says, like, what's your best quality? My humility. It's, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Humility is one of those things you cannot brag about. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's like, if you have, and James goes on. James is one of those. He's... He sticks that knife in. Um, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. So having jealousy denies the truth of Jesus in your life. Having selfish ambition denies the truth of Jesus in your life. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. And everything is evil. What of the wisdom from above? First, it is pure, and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. Humility is about sowing the seeds of justice through peace. It is filled with with gentleness and mercy and good actions. As well, in Colossians, Paul, I think it's really to the, the heart of the matter. And he says, Therefore, as God's choice, holy, and loved people, put on kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because you're loved, you are to be humble. Humility is not an avenue to kind of get ahead in this life. Humility is a response to the love of God in your life. And that, that gets us right back to, to this, this strange Luke passage. Why should anyone be humble? What's the point of humility? Well, let's think about why would someone want to take the best seat? And so taking the best seat or inviting, inviting the friends in, in that kind of way, it comes out of so often a fear that you're going to lose what you have. The lack of humility is a fear, is a fear that you're going to lose, lose your station in life. The desire for control of your time with, you know, with our kids, we have... Um, a lot of choices in our time. We have choices of what schools to go to, of what families to spend time with, of what parks to go to. And we, you know, there's, it's so easy to drift into this slippery slope of what are the consequences of these actions and what do they say about me. The, the context for the Luke passage has to do with in parties in the ancient world, are often like our, our world, is that when you invite someone to a party, you kind of, they may invite you to one of their parties. Um, there's kind of this kind of like assumed quid pro quo going on. And this is what Jesus is like, no, don't. That is not the point. You are not going to, your social status in your community is not going to save you. Your career advancement is not going to, be, to save you. But even with that, you don't need it. This is why you can be humble. Humility comes out of security in being loved by God. Knowing that we are not going to lose it. If you invite the wrong person to the party, God is not going to stop loving you. 
If you, you know, if you have the social faux pas of not sitting at the right seat, God is not going to stop loving you. We are the people of God, Paul is saying. You are beloved of God. How should you act now? You don't need to earn it. You don't need to strive for it. The gift is offered to you, and so how shall you act? As well, I think there's, there's a real issue that Jesus gets to the heart of that do we see other people as children of God or as objects? And I think that's, that's the way with, it's so hard to figure out our own motivations in so many, so many situations, our own motivations in social situations. Am I inviting this person for my own amusement? Am I inviting this person because I enjoy spending time with them and that will be my reward? Am I inviting this person because I think it's going to make me look good or feel good? You know, you think about, I have a lot of, I have a lot of um, work functions. People who work have work functions. I go to a lot of like preacher meetings. It's like, gosh, should I be thinking about who I'm talking to? Is that, should that matter? The Methodist church is this appointive structure. It's like, gosh, should I, should I have some, some ear time with the bishop today? Should I try and get that? Um, you know, but that, that temptation that, that is, is insidious, that I should see him as an object for my own advancement. I should see my time as this, this object, as this depersonalized space. Um, that I need to use to my advantage instead of seeing other people in my life as a gift, as an opportunity to receive God's grace, as an opportunity to receive love. God offers us the freedom to not seek salvation in those spaces, to not seek um, exhausting ourselves for others as a way of advancement. This lack of humility that is pointed out by Jesus is this abundance of fear, this abundance of fear of losing our status in life, the fear of losing what we have worked for. You are free to be humble because you are loved. That's where humility emerges out of. You did not earn it. Your belovedness cannot be taken away. You are forgiven. You are forgiven for those things that you think you did. For that thing that you don't want the person you invited to the party to know about. (laughs) You are forgiven for that. You are loved. And so do not sit at the place of honor. You don't need it. You are honored. You have received the honor of God. I think that's, I think that the early part is not just this kind of business leadership book that this is how you get ahead and you want to be lifted up. I think this is eschatological. This is about our eternal life with God. That's why it's even in the early part. You know, Jesus kind of tricks us. He thinks like, shows us, oh, I think this teaching is going to simple and this one's not. It's like, no, they're all really hard. Um, <laughs> only by grace do you see that because they challenge our assumptions of this world. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, the wedding banquet of life with God, receive it humbly. Do not think that you deserve it. That's the thing about going and sitting at the seat of honor is that you think you deserve that seat of honor. But you have already received grace. You have already received love. Sit at the low spot because that is where Jesus is. It's like um, Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. He's going around the cups, 
I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's a long time ago. But he's looking for the Holy Grail and looking around, and the first guy, the Nazi goes. Of course, the Nazi's going to pick the most golden one because it's Nazis. And um, <laughs> drinks it, you know, drinks it, and it kind of like it destroys him. And then Indiana is going around, and he looks for the cup of a carpenter. And so often we've portrayed Jesus in history and the church through its power structures has portrayed the gold and the guild and all of this. And it was the humble wooden cup. And so when we seek Jesus, when we seek to follow Jesus, we may feel like we deserve the gold. But what happens is you realize it's not that special. The reason why the streets of heaven are paved in gold in the book of Revelation is not because it's so rich, but because it's, it's like dirt in heaven. What we value here is worthless in the life of God. It's not that it is gilded and beautiful, but it is like asphalt that you don't have to put sealant on every three years. <laughs> that is, that's what life with God is. I think John Chrysostom uh, wrote, the, wrote the, this amazing sermon that's like super convicting, but this, I want to end with this. Um, because he gets to this heart of how we understand our place with God, how we understand true humility. The true humility is being like Christ and seeking Christ. He says, do you want to honor Christ's body? Then do not scorn him in his nakedness, nor honor him in the church with silken garments while neglecting him outside where he is cold and naked. For he said, this is my body. And made it so by his words. We'll say that again during communion. He also said, you saw me hungry and did not feed me. And inasmuch as you did not do it for one of these, the least of my brothers, you did not do it for me. What we do here in church requires a pure heart, not special garments. What we do outside requires great dedication. Let us learn, therefore, to be people of wisdom and to honor Christ as Christ desires. For God does not want golden vessels, but golden hearts. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? That is the rule of humility, and that is the gift of it. The gift of it, and the gift of the challenge of it in this world, is that to enter into spaces and not seek out what I need or deserve, but to enter every space remembering that I am loved. And that no matter where I sit, God will love me. And no matter whom I talk to, I will still be loved. And not just that in that passive way, but I can participate in the kingdom of God. I can see in the face of the other in front of me, the face of Jesus. I can see in the face of those whom society despises the face of Jesus. I can, I can work together. We can work together. We can energize each other because throwing parties is hard and it takes a lot of work. And you only want to do it if you feel like you're going to get something out of it. But Jesus tells us to not invite our friends so how can we do that and not invite our friends by working together as the body of Christ, by being of one spirit, by holding true that maybe together we will see the face of Jesus in our neighbors. Maybe together we will listen to the words of Jesus. We may think that, oh, you know, that's, that's too hard for me, Jesus, instead of being like, what a gift that is. God, Jesus, what if I could have the faith to not invite my friends? Give me that faith, O oh Lord. What if I could have the faith to not be concerned with the social standing of the people my kids 
go to school with, with where, what their elementary school says about their college and future career aspirations. Lord, strike that from my heart. Give me the freedom to love. Give me the freedom to love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.